and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay, Everybody Shadowplay. <laughs> a queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars' best episode. With your host, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus, and she wants you to know that was the last carrot stick. <laughs> Oh my god, we are finally here. It is Shadow Play, uh, arguably, if there is any argument, the best episode of PLL. Um, And before we start the scene by scene, I think we should just take a few minutes to talk about what it is that makes this episode so great. Oh, oh man, that is a big question. You know, I feel like this is one of those episodes that PLL fans tend to have strong feelings on. I mean, there are the contingent of fans that don't like this episode, that don't get this episode. And I can understand that. It's a real departure. You know, it's kind of like the Buffy musical episode, for example. I personally, and I know you do as well, love this episode. It's so beautiful to look at it is just a visual uh feast it's an auditory feast the music is gorgeous it um allows the show to dig into some really wonderful character work for all of the characters but especially spencer it's one of those episodes where everything means 12 things which uh as two people who love to just dig into all of the nitty-gritty you know layers i know we both love um it It's sort of, I love that it's its own contained world in a show where it's, there's constantly sort of things spilling all over the place about, um, you know, this thing and that thing and needing all of this exposition to explain how we get to a certain point. The fact that this is sort of almost its own little contained mystery within the larger mystery of the show works really, really well. It is some of my favorite line readings of the entire series, which we will get into, and some of the best performances by certain actors. Um, amazing costumes. It's it's just it's just a delight. And I'll and I'm a film connoisseur. I do like older black and white movies, but um, it's just it makes you just want to kind of be in that world of those movies. What what about you? What would you say? I mean, I agree with everything you said, and I just feel like the unique vision, like lots of shows have done kind of special episodes that are flashbacks or alternate timelines, or like you mentioned, a musical episode. Uh, But what other show before Pretty Little Liars could have ever pulled off an entire episode done in the style of film noir? Like after PLL, I feel like a lot of the a lot of the shows that came after like Riverdale or other ones like that could probably do something similar, but like this wouldn't, what show would have even thought of it? Uh, And it just, it works really well with the specific DNA uh, of, of PLL and the way that it ties in to Spencer's chemical dependency and her obsession with the mystery. uh, This is a situation where the writers really did the work to make it work. which is phenomenal. Uh, And also the queerness of this episode, the wild like romanticism of Paley here, the way that every character seems more queer, like the Allison Spencer vibes, the Hannah Mona vibes, the Spencer Aria vibes, the Hannah Spencer vibes, the Emily Allison vibes. It's like a vibe fest. Uh, We have Hannah being done with men, Aria mentioning how she used to be a tomboy uh everyone's dialogue (laughs) seeming double-edged like it could be a flirt or a threat 
And uh, this is also an episode that features Paige uh, on equal footing with the boyfriends, which is a very, uh, you know, it, it also makes uh, it a very unique episode in that way. All great points. And, you know, to add to what you were saying about how only PLL could do an episode like this, what I love is that the black and white element, it's not a gimmick or a parody. It's an extension of sort of what the characters are already going through. And it actually allows the characters to sort of confront things that the regular show wouldn't allow them to confront. Um, and it allows them to sort of dig into their own psyche and uh, specifically Spencer to dig into her own psyche in ways that um, we wouldn't be able to necessarily do as directly in the regular show timeline. And that's, I think, what makes it really um, brilliant because it would be I think it would be really easy for an episode like this to feel kind of gimmicky or to feel like, oh, you know. We just want to do this really stylized thing, but it doesn't really mean anything. And I know that that's a criticism of this episode that people say, well, nothing that happens in this episode is real or there's no real forward momentum in this episode. Although I would argue that there actually is. But I like I even if you say none of this is real, I, I don't care. I really enjoy spending this time with these characters and sort of getting this particular window into uh, into their lives, especially knowing that as the series chugs along, it's going to be more and more plot focused and less and less character based. Listen, I am not going to entertain any of this, uh, but it's not real uh, nonsense because later on we're going to have to stomach the uh, you know post time jump preview that gets written off as a, a cut gas line nightmare that Emily is having uh, and we're also going to have to stomach uh, the fact that like it came to Hannah in a dream that Noel Khan <laughs> pushed that girl down the stairs so I, I don't really want to have to like engage with the like you know did it happen is it real uh, Dumbledore to Harry like are those two things mutually exclusive etc um, I, I think that uh I, I think this is a terrific episode. And like you were saying, it is the best work uh, of some of the actors that we've seen, particularly, I think, Keegan. I, I would say that this is definitely Keegan's best episode. Uh, Toby is never better than he is here. Keegan's flatness works in the context of a noir detective. It serves him way better than normal. Uh, and also his gruffness with Spencer works better in this context than it does in the present timeline, where it just tends to seem really controlling. Right. And I kind of, and again, we'll get into this. Um, I sort of feel like Toby, more than just about any other character in the noir world, feels like an extension of Spencer's psyche, maybe because he's playing the role of detective. And I just find that so fascinating in the context of the queerness of this episode, that Spencer almost has sort of split her persona between herself and Toby and to me, not just saying this because I, you know, have my Spanish goggles on, although I do wear them constantly, I sort of feel like within the structure of this episode, the character that's sort of cast more in the role of Spencer's love interest is Hannah. I would definitely, definitely agree with that. I mean, we'll we'll get to it when we get there. Uh, but yeah, I definitely agree that uh, Keegan, like his, Toby's role here seems more... Um, like authoritative than it does romantic well and also more like 
again, obviously all of this is a dream and all of that, but Toby almost seems more like just a manifestation of Spencer than Mm -hmm. anybody else. And I know that everybody is a manifestation of Spencer, but Toby in particular, I I think it's really, really interesting work that's happening with him. I agree. I also think we talked about whether this is maybe Sasha's best episode. Uh, I, I think it very well could be. I do think that this is just a perfect, perfect use of Allison. There's just enough of her the painting hanging over the mantle, uh, the poster outside the club, her like, I, I keep calling it a feather boa, but it's actually like just a feather lined robe that she's wearing uh, for for a lot of it, where it's got like these just fantastic feathery sleeves and this giant feathery collar. And it is like probably not the best thing to wear if you're like having people chase you because it seems like you would be shedding a trail of feathers wherever you go. But like it's Alison De Laurentiis and she does not need to worry about that. Uh, But her cruelty and her vulnerability and her love, uh, her ability to be there and then gone all on great display here. Agreed. I also think uh, it's Ian's best episode. I would not argue with you. He is just, uh, he's at his villainous best. Uh, He relishes being the big bad and he never seems bigger or badder than he does here. Uh, He is playing this role with finesse and with gusto. And he is just like, he's just living his best life here. Well, and and one of the things, and and I sort of touched on this before, but one of the things that I think works so well about him in this episode is that within Spencer's dream, he is just the villain. Like there is one villain basically, and it is Prezra and it allows him to be extra villainous, but it also allows the mystery of the episode to feel more contained in a way that works really, really well. Uh, And I think was a note that they really should have taken as they went along, like maybe writing with the ending in mind would actually be, be a good thing rather than just kind of making it up episode to episode and, you know, throwing throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. Because him just being the capital V villain works really well. Yeah, yeah. We've also got Mona in her negligee and just the overall perfection of Mona in every moment that she's on screen. Like, yes. you can't say that this is Mona's best episode because every episode is Mona's best episode. Like, there's no, there's no way you can distinguish that. Um, but she is phenomenal here. Oh, she's so, so good. And I'm so fascinated by uh, what Spencer has clearly extrapolated about Mona and Prezra's relationship based Mm -hmm. on kind of how she characterizes it in her fantasy. Yes, yes. Um, The dialogue is great. So snappy, so in character, so perfectly delivered. Uh, You checked the line about that was the last carrot stick. Um, You know, just just great. Just great. Everything about it uh, is so well done. It's so well thought out. It works so well, moves the plot forward. Spencer really does have a revelation as a result of this journey that she goes on. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think the only episode that you could argue, like, make a, another case for as the best episode is probably Unmasked. Um, but I, I think that the character work in this one and just, like, the ambition of it and the execution of it um, it's in a league of its own. Right. Well, and one of the things that this episode is really positing is like, you know, is where is Spencer, like, did Spencer try to kill Allison? Is Spencer A? 
Like, is Spencer sort of complicit in everything that's been going on? And what's so great is, like, Spencer herself doesn't really know. And this episode as a whole ends up functioning as this incredible character study of Spencer and Spencer's fears about herself and her fears about what the people in her life actually think of her. Yeah. Oh, my God. Everything about it. There are so many layers. It's so great. Should we should we get into the meat of this episode? Let's Man, let's dive have, right in. We have so much like there's so much that happens even before we go to black and white. Like we have to get like all the regular episode stuff out of the way. Um, <laughs> I know. We we start in on the liars, uh, sans Aria at school, uh, presumably on Sunday night, um, searching Fitz's classroom. They discuss whether he could be A, even though they're all fairly reluctant to say it outright. Uh, we get a reminder that the liars only consider him to be Arya's ex-boyfriend, unaware at this time. They are back together. Hannah finds a bunch of coffee mugs, but Spencer finds Allie's journal in the desk drawer. They grab it and head out of the room, hiding around a corner as they hear footsteps approaching. This turns out to be Mona clacking along in her high heels and heading into Fitz's room like she belongs there. Uh, the liars do one of their patented peer out from around the corners uh, to watch her depart carrying a bunch of papers and debate what she could have been doing. Yeah, there's a great, you know, liars duck behind the wall. Hannah has a great line about how if she was a teacher and people only gave her mugs, she would start flunking people, which just the image of Hannah as a teacher is very entertaining. <laughs> um, so over at Spencer's, we learn that the Hastings are out of town being lawyers. Um, and Spencer is sniffing a bunch, which uh, perhaps implies that she might actually be snorting her pills at this point. Um, the liars are touching base about the phone number and email addresses. Spencer is going to try to get a lead on those, but they're not really sure where they lead. Spencer brings up Shauna asking uh, a question that it seems like maybe they should have asked a while ago. What's Shauna's deal, basically? Like, who is this Shauna chick? What do we really know about her? Uh, the liars bring up the fact that she was with Paige, which despite Emily seeming to be drawing a line between... Uh, seeming to kind of want to ask Shauna about her relationship with Paige last week. Emily gets really defensive about this, uh, especially when Hannah brings up the idea of basically uh, interrogating Paige about Shauna, which I understand why Emily would feel uncomfortable with that. Um, Emily instead wants to focus on the Mona Fitz connection, but the liar's brains are too full. Spencer is looking really rough. Emily wonders if they found the book too easy, if maybe it wasn't A, uh, Hannah has a funny line where she says that this is all about the anus of things. Uh, Spencer says that Hannah's right, which Hannah really likes. It's cute. Hannah probably has a praise kink where Spencer is concerned. Um, the liars are overwhelmed. Yes. Um, we've got a lot to cover in this episode, but I do want to take one second to bag on the Hastings. This is still endless November, the same month when their daughter was institutionalized for a mental health crisis. And now they're just flying off to different cities, leaving our home alone. Nobody needs to bother about what is happening with Spencer in this family. Uh, and also to note that Spencer in the present uh, Technicolor Day is wearing a sweater with two foxes on it. <laughs> yes, and it's fun because, like, she'll be wearing that sweater basically the whole episode. <laughs> she will, she will. Oh, um, so Arya and Prezra are returning from the cabin late on Sunday night, 
and Arya still has lots of homework to do. Uh, I think that this is actually the best Arya Prezra scene of the show. Uh, their level of comfort and discomfort with one another sitting side by side. Uh, the familiarity of all their lines as they ride back into town. The story that Arya is writing that she's telling him about, which started out as one thing, then turned into something else. It was about a hero, but heroes aren't what they used to be. So she became fascinated by a villain. Is he going to lose in the end? Prezra asks. Arya doesn't know. Sometimes the villain wins. Sometimes Prezra agrees. His voice, ice fucking cold and casual. Um, I think this is my favorite scene of theirs because it's the one that feels the most like the equation of them could be reversible. That it's likely Prezra mm -hmm. is the villain, but whether he's leading her or she's leading him for just this moment seems like a more open question. When Arya is saying out loud, I became fascinated by the villain, it opens up this wide world of like, how much does she know? Has Spencer tipped her off? Has something happened that she's discovered? Like, it just really like, most of their interactions are just the same fight over and over again, like a hundred different ways about like, um, you know, should she be able to do something that she wants to without him thinking it's dumb? Or uh, should everybody be allowed to know about their disturbing predatory relationship, etc.? Um, but this is like, this feels very different. It feels very vital. And it feels like a great introduction to the dynamics we're going to see once everything goes to black and white. I Yeah, I love everything you said about that. It is like when there is that that tension because I even I mean we've talked so much about how much we like Prezra as the villain but there's also that layer too where like it puts Arya again in sort of the role of like his his victim which is yes like I, I like the show acknowledging that and also it's not like a terribly interesting place to position her character but this place where there is that tension of like what does she know? What does she believe? Who would she side with? You know, if it came if it came down to all of this, could she be turned? And what would it take to turn her? Like, all of that is kind of at play here. And there is this sense of, like, they could be these villains kind of riding off in the sunset together. It's really interesting. Yeah, 100% yeah. agree. So back at the Hastings house, the darkened Hastings house... Uh, Spencer is um, watching the black and white movie The Narrow Margin while studying the journal. She's clearly really exhausted. She watches the movie for a moment, then says a Raymond Chandler quote to herself, down these mean streets, a man must go who is not himself mean. She pours herself some fancy water that also kind of looks like vodka, uh, takes a pill, kind of studies the movie. A shot goes off in the movie. Spencer looks away, and when she looks back at the window, we're in film noir. Spencer is dressed like Lauren Bacall. Her house looks like an old movie set. The music is all high strings. Toby, in a fedora and trench coat and in silhouette at the door, says, You've been holding out on me. And she says, Toby? And he says, I wouldn't say no to a drink. And we go to old-timey credits. Oh, my God. So great. The shift is so great. Um, I love everything that Spencer's wearing here. I love that uh, warping into film noir gave her all this jewelry. She has earrings, a necklace, a bracelet, her yep. hair. Like, 
her hair, which has been looking increasingly like kind of scraggly uh, in yeah. present day, is set in this gorgeous wave. The whole house has been transformed. Like they suddenly have this big black and white rotary phone that maybe was taken from the lake house uh, props department for for this <laughs> set. Um, just just great. Uh, and then Toby in his trench coat with his fedora. Uh, the Tough Talk and P.I., it's it's just a great intro into what's coming. Well, and one of the things that I love about this is, like, all of this obviously ends up being a hallucination. Um, but the show doesn't, like, waste time on Spencer figuring it out. You know, like, it's it, so often when um, shows have, like, these sort of very special episodes, half of the episode is sort of the... You know, the part of It's a Wonderful Life where the character is, like, running around trying to figure out, like, the rules of the world or whatever. And I say this as somebody who loves It's a Wonderful Life, by the way. But um, I love that, like, Spencer has sort of this moment of confusion and then we're just dropped into the world. We, like, the show buys into it and so we are forced to buy into it. And that's, like, that's a level of confidence that I really admire in the storytelling. I definitely agree. And I also would say that um, I think we, we talked about this a little bit before the episode. I think that the show PLL in general works best when you don't think too hard about anything. Like, so the dream logic of this episode is really perfect. Like this is yeah. the level that PLL should always be operating on when you don't need to like really worry about Spencer having a garbage disposal, even though it's the 1940s, or you don't have to worry about like, are they high school students or do they have jobs? What's going on? Like, you don't <laughs> need to worry about any of that because it's a dream and we're just moving along to the next thing. You don't have to worry yeah. about like, why does the backstage connect to this weird warehouse garage space? Like it just does. And it all makes sense because that's how it is in a dream. Like you yeah. don't think anything is weird when you're in the dream. Uh, right. So I think that 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 serves us really well here in the moment that they're introducing us to the world. And I think it also makes sense that Spencer, like the things that are extrapolated on, it makes sense that Spencer would have thought about those things. Like, obviously, we'll get to this when we talk to Paley. But the fact we talk about Paley, but like the fact that Spencer has basically clearly in her mind and some part of her mind thought to herself, hmm, if my lesbian friend existed in the 1940s, like this is this whole like closeted scenario that she would have to go through and like all of that. Like, I mean, obviously we have our reasons for thinking that Spencer would have thought about that, but like it, that totally makes sense. Or like the, you know, the, the fixation on the cup of coffee being, you know, 15 cents or whatever it is. Like that's absolutely something that Spencer, a very detail minded person would probably hyper focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Um, so back in black and white, uh, P.I. Toby is barking at Spencer that he needs to know about Allison. Uh, this is very much the way he usually treats her. And I find it fascinating that Spencer's mind recognizes how much better that fits in a more olden time misogynistic period. Uh, Spencer denies knowing anything. Toby gives us a taste of this rapid patter dialogue when he says, they both know this started out as a job, but now it's something more. Uh, again, this is giving voice to the way Spencer is compelled by the mystery as a mystery, independent of Allison, of A, of anything else. Uh, Spencer says he's going to have to trust her, and he says, trust you? You're spread so thin I can see right through you. Uh, would it be nice if someone could see Spencer this 
clearly uh, Toby himself hasn't been around for the past two episodes since he shouted at Spencer about the Radley settlement. Uh, but this is what Spencer wants in a partner, which is clearly why she should be with Hannah. Uh, <laughs> also, it's possible that Spencer's brain is sending the message that she's with Toby because he treats her badly, yelling at her, bullying her. Uh, this is what she equates as love, given her parents and her friendship with Allison. Like, this is what she thinks on some level that she deserves. Uh, he looks judgmentally at the pills on the counter, and Spencer insists that they help her to focus. Who's kidding who, Toby asks, as gorgeous uh, credits play over the screen, like movie-style credits. Even the font they use here for, like, Ashley Benson's name, so beautiful. Oh, it's so great. Um, so at the at the brew, but it's like an old-timey coffee shop, an old-timey, like, soda shop, uh, Prezra buys Spencer a cup of coffee, saying it's his way of saying sorry. He doesn't like how their conversation went the other day. Spencer, very on guard, replies that she sometimes perceives constructive criticism as a threat. He says that he feels the same, then offers to buy her dinner at the Heart and the Huntsman, which is so great. I love Spencer imagining that this is what Fitz might do, try to romance her like he has Allie and Aria. And there's a sense that Spencer might like that, which she hates about herself. Uh, Prezra is on real top noir villain form here as he uh, asks her to cross her heart and hope to die. Oh my God, so deft, so menacing. Uh, Also, we're going to talk, I think, a lot about just the magnificent costumes uh, that the liars are in this episode. So I want to shout out Prezra's zoot suit that he's wearing, this dark ensemble with the white tie and the black hat. Yeah, and it it looks it, like Ian Harding looks like he should be in old movies. Like he looks like he really like he just stepped off an old movie set. I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, in a bathroom somewhere, <laughs> uh, Hannah is declaring, "The more she sees of men, the more she wants to get a dog." Too bad there isn't another alternative, she tells Emily. Is she flirting here? Too bad, Emily whispers, like a woman who knows about some lady-loving options in any reality. Um, They discuss Prezra paying for Spencer's coffee, and Emily is glad that Arya is done with him. But is she? Spencer thinks maybe not. Hannah and Emily are surprised at the idea they might be back together, and Arya is lying to them. But Spencer says anyone who has, is there, you know, anyone who hasn't lied to the group about something romantic, raise your hand. No one does. Now, in this dream or in reality, what has Hannah lied to the group about, do we think? Caleb being haunted by ghosts? Or all the time she's explored alternatives with Mona? (laughs) Hmm. Spencer stands and tells Hannah, you're president of the Manhaters Club. How would you feel about following Ezra Fitz? Hannah stands at attention And it's clear that the noir version of Spencer is really working for her. Um, Hannah declares herself born for the job. (laughs) Do you want to take us, Aria, coming in? Or should I? Yes. Okay. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, Just then, Aria enters. She's a vision in 40s striped blouse fashion. Uh, She greets the troops and lies to them about being in Syracuse and her dad and the Erie Canal Museum 
While freshening her lipstick in the mirror, the bell rings and they head off to, as Arya declares, bring the world to its knees. Before they do, Hannah says to Spencer, you really did go to the Erie Canal Museum, didn't you? Spencer agrees. Twice. The two of them are so (laughs) flirty in a much more fun and less shouty way than certain men. Yes, we love wives who know each other. Um, Yeah, there's just, oh my God. I just, I love Spencer's subconscious being like, not only I need to create an old timey AU to explain how my lesbian friend would have moved through the world in the 40s, but is also like, oh, my friend Hannah, who just flirted with me by revealing her praise kink, is going to play the part of a man hating possible lesbian in this universe. Listen, behavior. Everyone is a lesbian in Spencer's brain. Obviously, like, everyone is queer in her mind. Therefore, like, because everyone is Spencer. Everything has been created by Spencer. And this, like, queer noir utopia has been built by Spencer's own indisputably queer brain. It's so true. It's so true. Also, I feel like the outfit Arya is wearing and the way she greets the liars is, like, an outfit and a way of greeting the liars that Arya would do in normal time. Like when she walks in in that like Beetlejuice suit and is like morning troop. Like I'm like, Arya is such a weirdo. She would, she would do that in regular time too. I agree. I do agree. Yeah. Um, so at home, Spencer in a gorgeous silk nightdress is calling the number on the paper uh, and learns that it is the Fitzgerald Art Foundation. She hangs up and takes a pill And Toby appears, saying that he thought she was going to go easy on those pills. He's walked in uninvited. He says he learns more that way. Another little, uh, you know, moment of Spencer perhaps recognizing the ways in which he does not respect her boundaries. Uh, And then he says that she already has most of the pieces to solve the mystery, which really seems to be him acting as another part of Spencer's uh, subconscious here. She walks forward asking him to suppose you tell me how everything fits together I thought you were the smart one, he replies. And one of my favorite line readings of the episode, I am the smart one. They both notice a giant portrait of Allie over the mantle in a clear homage to the movie Laura, uh, which I love being in the Hastings house specifically because it's like even here the specter of Allie looms large. Toby comments that she looks like she could step out of the frame and kiss you or laugh in your face, which... Toby being another part of Spencer's self-conscious, pretty interesting that she's thinking about Allison kissing her. Spencer asks, what if Allie was alive somewhere? Uh, Toby says she isn't, which kind of reminds everybody that Toby does not know that Allison is alive, uh, which, again, is a good indication of how sort of at odds they've been in timeline. Yeah, shout out to Toby's, uh, when he takes his hat off to, like, punch the fedora uh, at some point we see his slicked back noir hair uh, yeah. which I'm really impressed that like whatever uh, whatever product uh, they have for this the werewolf has been tamed uh, <laughs> in this particular episode uh, and yeah I think that they both wind up like ending the scene just staring up at the painting engaging in their own respective sexual fantasies Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also interesting, too, that, like, it seems like Spencer might have some unresolved feelings about Toby's past with Allison. Yeah, and and, I mean, being that Toby is a a rendition of Spencer here, like, that it speaks to her own. Also, uh, I just want to say, like, there are a lot of close face watches in this episode, 
uh, Spencer and Prezra had one in the coffee shop when they were going back and forth. And uh, it, it, it's almost like they both want to crawl up into the painting as they're standing there staring at it. So close face watch between which one of them is going to start making out with this painting first. <laughs> True. True. Oh, uh, Prezra in his dark shirt and white tie stands on a balcony, the king of the mean streets he surveils. Uh, a woman's arm enters the frame, handing him a drink. It's Mona, styled like a B-roll Cleopatra. They look out on the scene together for a moment, the dark queen to his king on the balcony. They go inside, and Mona closes the curtains with a flourish. From down below, we see the Romeo to Mona's Juliet. Hannah stares up at the empty space where Mona just was. She is the east, and Mona, of course, is the sun, the moon stars uh <laughs> hannah is wearing a long coat and a beret and she is disgusted by the heteropatriarchal scene of her love handing drinks to Mis mr fitz men she says disgustedly <laughs> oh man i love love hannah's styling with the hat and the coat it's so great i like that it actually makes her look kind of like more innocent. And I think it's a really interesting counterpoint to the scene later when she's following Mona. Uh, but it's also really interesting to me that Spencer seemingly has sort of cast uh, Prezra and Mona almost like this tawdry affair, you know, and, but that Mona is sort of somewhat subservient to him. And yet there's a definite like sexual edge that she's added with, you know, the way that Mona is dressed and the way that Mona closes the curtain and everything. Well, in her subconscious, Spencer clearly realizes that his involvement with underage girls is a problem. Like, right. in, in regular life, she's kind of turned on by it. But, like, here in her, like, everything is darker and noirish uh, dream world, like, when he hits on Spencer, she finds it creepy. He's here with Mona. Again, creepy. Like, yeah. it, it registers very differently. Uh, now that now that Spencer is casting him as the villain. It's true. It's true. Um, so Spencer is like sitting on sort of this chaise lounge thing. And she starts reading a new story called The Mermaid. And behind her, it appears almost like a play. I love the visual of this. Spencer looks over her shoulder. And there she sees Emily and Paige sitting together uh, in, I think this is the brew set, but it sort of feels more like an old diner or an old bar. What is happening with Paige's hair? I feel like Paige, Paige gets sort of the short end of the styling stick in this episode, I will say. She gets some bizarrely chunky jewelry and some real intense curls. Now, maybe Spencer is still trying to figure out what lesbianism looks like in the 1940s. I don't know. But, um, Paige is wondering why Emily is asking about Shauna. She says that what happened with Shauna happened a long time ago. Emily says it wasn't that long ago and she isn't asking her to apologize. Paige is somewhat defensive before admitting that she thought about Shauna when she was with her. She, that makes her sound like, that sounds like something a boy says when he cheats and she feels almost normal admitting that. To which I ask, who is Spencer thinking about when she's with Toby? Emily takes Paige's hand, but the barman is watching them. Emily offers to go, but Paige says, go first. She doesn't mind. Emily says, 
you always you always leave first. Aren't you afraid people will notice that too? And Paige, in an achingly tender voice, replies, I have to leave first because I can't stand to see you walk away from me. Spencer is writing some epic Paley fanfic. Um, and what's interesting is, like, this Paley that is completely really disconnected from, like, the struggles of real-world Paley is, like, more dripping with romance and drama than actual Paley has been for, like, a season. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, uh, Spencer's Imaginarium, like, even the diary entry that she's reading is queer. It's Allison. Like, this is, like, an Emerson entry that leads into this Paley love scene. Uh, yeah. Where, like, Allison yeah. is talking about her mermaid, which we know is Emily. She could have anyone she wants if only she knew. What would it be like if she was as tough as she is beautiful? You could be anything you want in this world except weak. Uh, and Matt, like, brings us to this Paley scene. They, like, clutch their gloved hands together and the forbidden desire is, like, palpable. Um, there is no way that Spencer has not read, like, half a dozen, like, pulp romances from this era um and i i don't know what she did with her gloved or ungloved hands while she was doing that but there is there is a vibe here here in spencer's brain it's very carol yeah yeah and like the focus on page i feel like is so interesting because that's page is not someone who it seems like spencer gives a lot of thought to ordinarily but boy, she's sure given her a lot of attention here in the dreamscape. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Speaking of interesting, Mona, clad in a long fur, is striding down the street, reveling the idea that Hannah is walking at a distance behind her, staring hard at her ass. Hannah is shadowing her steps when they turn a corner, and she has no idea where Mona has gone. Mona reappears, standing behind her and reflected in, like, six different mirrors. Lose something, honey, she asks. Oh, I love I love Mona appearing in all these mirrors because it's like the many versions of Mona that we always talk about. It's a brilliant choice of how to frame this character. Love it. Love it so much. So Spencer is in bed when she gets a call from Mona that there's a blonde package waiting for her at Prezra's apartment. Hurry up while she's still breathing. <laughs> So Spencer thinks of Hannah as a blonde package being passed from Mona to her. How interesting. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I watching it this time, I find myself wondering are are we suppo- I mean, obviously we know that it's Hannah, but it, is Spencer maybe thinking that it could be Allison? Mm, I think when Mona mentions a blonde, your mind automatically goes to Hannah. If that's that's probably that's probably true. That's probably true. Why don't you, that was such a short scene. Why don't you take us to the apartment? Oh my goodness. What a gift. Okay. This is maybe the best scene of the episode. I don't know. This is a really good scene. So Mona answers the door with a very long lingering look down Spencer's body. Spencer pushes into the apartment to see Hannah on the couch, 
looking totally fine and saying that she's never better. I do kind of enjoy the mechanics of like how they got Hannah here and are apparently like holding her captive, but like Hannah's fine. Like she almost looks like a little kid, like, you know, like watching TV or eating crackers or something. It's, it's kind of cute. Prezra replies that you shouldn't uh, trust a tail to an amateur. And Hannah snarks back that she's not as used to walking the streets as Mona is. Come over here and say that Mona snaps. Prezra tells Mona to fix their guests a drink. Uh, once again, fascinated by the conclusions Spencer has seemingly come to about the relationship and the hierarchy between Prezra and Mona. Uh, Prezra talks about his juice blend made him what it is, what he is today. Uh, Spencer asks about board shorts ale, which Prezra says he gets when he can. Spencer suggests that he, she and Hannah should blow, which I love the like really fast back and forth about like, Let's blow. Suits me. Like, they're just so in sync. They're so in sync. Prezra won't let them leave without asking why uh, Spencer is so interested in him. Spencer is interested in whether or not he and Arya are back together, which I find fascinating that in Spencer's dream, this is the piece that she's stuck on. Not so much Prezra's relationship to Allison, but whether or not... Prezra and Arya are back together and whether Arya has been keeping that information from them. Almost as though Spencer is like, I don't know, a jealous lover. And then we get maybe my favorite exchange of the episode where Prezra says, true love, honey, just can't kill it. Mona chuckles and Prezra in peak menace mode goes, nix. Spencer tells him to leave Arya alone, but Prezra asks why she hasn't told Arya yet. He says that maybe it's because she's not sure about anything. She's in over her head and she knows it. Tell me you're not cracking up, Spencer, he says. Mona stands at the door as Spencer and Hannah push back, but uh, Hannah snags the carrot stick out of Mona's drink, thanking them for the buffet. After Spencer and Hannah leave, Mona beautifully swivels to face Prezra, saying... I want you to know that was the last carrot stick. (laughs) So perfect. And I actually think the carrot stick is the most memorable line of the episode. There are so many good ones, but that one is just like, it's, it's just perfect. It it is. It's so good. And I, I love, oh man, that true love line though. What I love about it is like, I feel like so often with the Prezra stuff, it's like, Oh, he's a bad guy, but he was in love with Arya. And what I love about this line is that it's letting him be snarky about their relationship. And it's letting him basically say, like, yeah, this is. Like, he's saying true love, honey, just can't kill it. But he's saying it in a way that makes it clear that this is a game and a manipulation. And I love that they give him that line. Yeah. And that. Like the line has menace. Like the line is is yes. like loaded, and unfortunately, this line becomes like the thesis statement of PLL in the later seasons. Like, just can't kill it, no matter what you do. The zombie of the relationship is gonna rise up and stagger over the finish line. Uh, so I like that we like get to see that here and and see it be treated differently. Like to to be treated as like a contemptuous a contemptuous reading of it. Agreed. Completely, completely. Yeah. 
Ah, so uh, Spencer is driving Hannah back as they discuss the eternal question of why are men? Uh, there is no answer, so Hannah mostly stares longingly at Spencer and asks if she's okay. Spencer reveals that she called the number on Allie's list and it rang to the Fitzgerald Art Foundation. Fitzgerald is in Fitz? Yes, Spencer answers. And you think Allie called them? Well, Spencer says, you're the one who works at a switchboard. Maybe you could find out. Hannah looks extremely pleased to be getting another mission. They're so flirty. They're just so flirty this whole episode. And this was the scene where I was really like, oh, they're the romantic couple in this episode. Like the way that they're this sort of investigative team, it reminds me of a lot of film noirs where it's like they'll be the detective and like his dame and they end up sort of following the case together. That's like the dynamic between Spencer and Hannah. Oh, a hundred percent. Like I feel like Toby is cast as an oppositional force to Spencer here. And Hannah is cast as Spencer's gal Friday. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's almost like, um, it feels sort of like rear window, like Spencer is Jimmy Stewart and uh, Hannah is Grace Kelly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that comparison. Or, or like, just like if this were like, a, 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 rather than a film noir, if this were like a romantic comedy, Toby would be like the harsh boyfriend who's like flying in a day before Christmas. And Hannah is like the high school love interest who things are going to be rekindled with. Like, that's definitely the vibe that you get from the two of them here. For sure, for sure. So next we have the most perplexing, fascinating, and strangest scene of the episode. And somewhat unnecessarily queer scene, but if but it's of course not unnecessary at all. Arya and Paige are in some kind of like ladies lounge or powder room of some sort. And Arya is showing Paige how to use a camera. Paige tells Arya somewhat nervously that she is going on a canoe trip this weekend with Emily. Arya remarks with surprise that she doesn't think of Emily as a tomboy. But before Paige can really dig into that, Arya continues talking, saying that she used to be a real tomboy. She'd spend more time in the tree out in her front yard than in her own bedroom. Paige asks what changed, and Arya replies that she fell in love for the first time. That's when she lost all interest in tree climbing. Guess you grow out of it. That's what they say, Paige replies, somewhat wistfully. And as Arya gets up, we stay on Paige, who looks rather forlorn. What does this scene mean? (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, keeping in mind that this is in Spencer's brain, I mean, it really seems like she is drawing a pretty direct connection between Paige, whose defining trait in this dream so far is being a gay lady, and Arya's past self. It's, there is no heterosexual explanation for this. I mean, that's the thing, is because it's like, any way you slice it, they're making this, they're, they're making this thing about tree climbing equals lesbianism, seemingly. And they're saying that Arya used to climb trees. And they're having Spencer imagining all of this. And it's like, What's going on here? Could be talk to me about the Paige and Emily and Paige and Arya scene. Tell me what this scene means. Well, I mean, I I think that it definitely hints that like if Spencer 
if tomboy is is code for queer, which it certainly seems to be, Paige certainly seems to understand it that way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that Spencer is like indicating a knowledge of Arya previously being involved with women. Maybe Spencer yeah. herself. Like I think a real case could could be made for that. Um, I think it's so interesting when they're talking about Emily being a tomboy and Paige like immediately says, oh no, she's not. It's so interesting how Spencer's brain has a prime directive to try and keep the queerness under wraps, despite it being like pervasive and romantic throughout. Um, but I am going to I'm going to disagree with you. Usually we are so in sync about our PLL opinions. I think that there is a heterosexual explanation for this scene. Um, OK. It's, okay. it's not later. I mean, it's okay. I think keeping in mind, um, like, uh, unlike a lot of other queer elements of PLL, like Mona's motivations, I do think there's a straight view of it, which is that this is about Spencer seeing Aria as Susie clueless, that she's mm-hmm. unaware of things that exist mm-hmm. right in front of her, like Paige and Emily being gay, uh, and also Fitz's machinations. Now, I don't love that. Uh, and, and in terms of like two dark secrets, but we know, like we know that that the writers on the show draw that line a lot. Um, True. So I I think that that is that is the alternate explanation for the scene. I could see that. I guess my one quibble with that, and I mean, ultimately, the show never does anything with this. So, like, you're probably right is that I don't feel like this is played as, like, a comedy beat. Like, I feel like this is played as, like, a kind of sad, dramatic beat, which makes me think... And, and granted, nothing is really played as a comedy beat because this is, like, film noir, but, like, it that's what kind of makes me think that this is, like, meant to be taken a little bit more seriously. Arya does have this... I don't even know what old-timey actress I'd compare it to, but, it, like, like, she has this really interesting energy in a lot of this episode where she's kind of... Um, she definitely is painted to be more naive and maybe even a little bit more conservative in some ways than some of the other characters and a l- little bit less... Certainly less observant, I think. And this scene, I definitely felt that, particularly that her delivery of that, that line, I don't think of Emily as a tomboy. Like, it has this kind of, like... Well, my stars kind of delivery to it. And there's even times when I feel like Lucy Hale's Southern accent kind of um, slips through a little bit. Like there's a line she has later where I kind of notice that. Um, and so, may- yeah, maybe you're, maybe you're right. Maybe that is part of it. Probably it is because that's, you know, it's the PLL plausible deniability thing. But I do think that it's really interesting that this scene exists. That this scene made it into the final cut of this episode. Well, and it, the, the- Spencer is pairing Paige and Arya together in a way that is not immediately evident to us as to why. Like, could it be that they're both women that Spencer herself is attracted to? I would say yes to that. Um, But also, like, Paige and Arya have only exchanged words, like, maybe two times throughout the run of the series. So the fact that Spencer is putting them together here, uh, it definitely, definitely seems meaningful especially because like all Paige is doing in this episode is being gay that's pretty much it uh so it really uh it it really seems like there is uh, a rainbow connection that's going on here I completely agree I completely agree uh do you have anything else do we do we have any other theories we want to put up on the board about this one (laughs) I don't 
don't think so. I mean, I just think it's very, I, I think it's very fascinating. I think I also find it really interesting that like, it feels like um, Emily is not as active in this episode as some of the other characters. And so it's interesting to me that like this scene could have existed between like Emily and Arya. Or it also could have existed even a version of it between Paige and Emily, like maybe having another coded conversation about their relationship. But I just find it so fascinating that Spencer casts it as Paige and Arya, you know? Well, and also I feel like of these characters, who is the most similar to Spencer? Paige. So if you're looking at like Toby being kind of a stand-in for Spencer herself, I think that you could look at Paige that way too. But I definitely think that since, like, Spencer's subconscious is, like, saying Arya used to be a tomboy and now she's changed, she's grown out of it, I definitely think you could watch the whole rest of this episode uh, thinking about Spencer as Arya's ex-lover and yes. it works. Oh, I completely agree. And, and I do feel like... Um, subconsciously in the episodes leading up to this, like in that phone call, that spe- that uh, voice message that Spencer left for Arya in the last episode, there definitely is that vibe that you can read into it that Spencer is reacting from a place of romantic jealousy in addition to her, you know, love and concern over Arya. And it's really interesting that it's like this episode seems, this episode that exists in Spencer's subconscious seems to be, like bringing that to the forefront a little bit more. Agree. Agree. Uh, Oh my gosh. This episode is so queer. It's so queer, Vina, that it actually like it's everywhere. It kind of makes me ship Toby and Fitz in this next scene, which like, wow, I have never felt that before in my life, but I feel it here. Uh, Toby and Fitz are having drinks talking about how much trouble you get into when you let a skirt get to you. Oh, Oh, their casual misogyny. It's a match made in heaven. My goodness. Um, Prezra gives Toby a hot tip. One lodge brother to another. Um, Allison De Laurentiis is alive. And Spencer knows how to find her. Like, Toby is so excited. You you just, like, almost see, like, the brim of his fedora rising off of his head. Like, he's very, <laughs> very excited by this information. Well, I think this scene is so interesting because it, you know, is Spencer worried that Toby might be in league with Prezra? Is Spencer, you know, Spencer has cast Hannah in the role of the man hater in this episode. But that means that there's a part of Spencer that's also feeling that way. Is Spencer feeling like all men are like this? All men do is, you know, cheat or leave you or lie to you. Um, and is she feeling like Toby is is somehow there's some line being drawn between Toby and Prezra? Well, yeah, sure. Tobey, who previously was yes. on the A team, like not once but twice, like, you know, who pretended to be dead, etc. Like he's done some really messed up stuff. And uh, and now here we see him having drinks and one lodge brother to another uh, about to have like a small circle jerk with Ezra Fitz. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. And, like, they're they're reacting to each other. Like, when we've seen Prezra, we've seen Prezra intimidating Spencer. We've seen Prezra uh, being kind of, like, the, the one in charge uh, in his apartment and ordering Mona around. Uh, this is the first time in this episode that we have seen 
uh, Prezra interacting with someone on a level of equals, and it's Toby. Right. Well, it's also interesting how in Spencer's fantasy world, she's cast Toby as the detective. And so there's this sort of you scratch your back, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of dynamic with Prezra um, that she's kind of extrapolated onto that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are like no scenes in Spencer's brain that are not queer because we've had like queer scene with Paige and Arya, yeah. queer scene with Toby yeah. and Ezra, and you are about to get an amazing queer scene with Spencer and Allison. And I am oh, jealous. God. <laughs> Do you want to take this one? Since I got the could amazing I, apartment scene. I, oh Go my god. For it. Yes. Oh, I would love this. Okay. Um, here's the next doozy of a queer scene. Spencer comes into the noir house of Hastings and rushes to pop another pill. Uh, before she can, though, a voice behind her says, it's a good likeness, don't you think? And then Allison is standing there in her revealing dress and disdainful expression, alive uh, and in person, possibly having stepped out of the frame to kiss her based on how close their faces are almost immediately. Um, Spencer wants to know why she didn't warn Arya. No woman has ever been able to warn another woman off a man. Whether Fitz is who she's afraid of. Allison does not answer this. Uh, She actually kind of intimates that maybe Spencer is the one she's afraid of. Uh, Our first hint that Spencer is kind of accusing herself of murder in the back of her mind. Um, Spencer wants to know why Allison can't give her a straight answer. And Allison responds, don't pretend that straightness interests you more than me, darling. Wait, no, that was my imagination, but you get the point. Um, Allison is angry about the picture because it will always be young and look like this, but she won't be. Disappearing means she'll always be the girl in the painting. And that is immortality, my darling. Um, Spencer presses Allison to tell her if Fitz is, again, the one that she's afraid of, if he's why she can't come home. Um, Allison repeats that she should know she already has all of the pieces that Toby's been telling her. But from Allison, Spencer seems to take this as possible confirmation that she knows something, that maybe she attacked Allison, maybe it was something that she did. Um, Allison wonders if Spencer needs to take more pills to help her think. But when Spencer goes to take some, she knocks them into the sink. She puts her arm down the disposal to try and get at them. And we get a lingering shot of the switch on the wall that would turn it on, which would shred Spencer's hand and arm. Just as she pulls her stuck hand out, Toby appears and grabs her as she cries against his chest. Meanwhile, Allison has vanished again. Oh, my God. Allison has this, this, like, sort of menacing Marilyn Monroe energy in this scene. Like, she's she's just doing some... Sasha's doing some amazing work here. She's she's flirtatious. She's menacing. She's sort of almost creep... Like, creepily girlish in some ways, but also very seductive. It's fascinating. And I love, you know, when Spencer says, why didn't Allie warn Arya about Prezra? Um... It's like she's so mad at herself for not having kept Arya away from Prezra. Um, and, yeah, I mean, all of the stuff about uh, did Spencer hurt Allie, it's so, so, so fascinating. Um, I love that they worked in an immortality, my darlings. I just, this is so much Spencer, you know, Spencer and Allison are so much two sides of the same coin. And this is Spencer confronting herself as much as it's her confronting Allison. 
Absolutely. And I love Allison. Like, I love the Allison of the early seasons when she's like, maybe a vision, maybe a dream, maybe a hallucination. When she's ghost waltzing with Spencer in the basement of Radley. And here when she's like half a ghost, half a painting, who knows? Uh, And it's just, it's really, really strong Allison work. Right. And I love that, like, we, like you're saying, like, we never know especially in the early seasons, like we never know if Allie is real. And then you take the fact that like we're in Spencer's imagination and we don't really know if Allie is real. And what I, this was a subtlety that I really appreciated on my second rewatch. I feel like when we see Allison later in this episode, she feels very different from the Allison in this scene. And the Allison in this scene feels like much more a manifestation of like Spencer's Allison Versus, like, quote-unquote, actual Allison that we get later in this episode. What's your take on that? Oh, I do think that this Allison feels really different. Um, this Allison, I think, is more the, like, uh, brutal life coach Allison. Uh, yeah. Who's trying to, like, along with Toby, tell Spencer that she already has the pieces that she needs. Allison is giving her actual info here, even though she's not answering the questions that Spencer's asking. Uh, I think the Allison that we get later uh, is much more like the the cruel version of Allison. Right. And the much more like just out to save herself, Allison, the alley that we get later. Right. So at the police station, uh, interesting kind of foreshadowing of Toby eventually becoming a cop. Toby tells Spencer to sit down in an interrogation room this feels like a very old-time interrogation with the light on her and him kind of stalking around the table he asks if allison is alive or dead uh she says that uh, allison is dead he says that's not what you said before and she replies that she was confused before toby says that spencer doesn't get confused because spencer is the smart one maybe smart enough to get away with murder or smart enough to help Allie fake the whole thing Maybe Allie even tricked her into helping. And what's interesting is that Spencer, who is completely exhausted at this point, seems to kind of agree that any of these things are possibilities. I'm telling you, Toby represents, like, this puts a whole new spin on this Toby relationship for me because, like, this is the part, like, Toby accuses Spencer of murder. Toby accuses Spencer of doing bad things. Toby yells at her about her pill usage. Um, Toby shouts at her that she should know uh, and she she should have the answer already. Like, this just kind of shows that, like, this is how Spencer perceives their relationship. This is how Spencer perceives that he, like, is is her partner. Like, because mm-hmm. part of her feels like she deserves bad things. She deserves bad treatments because of these character flaws that he is always picking at. Um, and that's disturbing, but I think it actually makes the relationship make a little more sense. Yeah, I mean, it's like she feels like she deserves to be interrogated here. Yeah, and and yelled at and treated poorly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So Arya is sitting with Fitz in his noirish lair. Uh, She says she always used to think that champagne was the most sophisticated thing in the world. Uh, another thing that regular times Arya would say, whether whether or not she was in a film noir. Uh, he tells her, no, she's the most sophisticated thing in the world. Good pickup, Spencer, on how he's always been grooming her. Um, 
Arya announces that she wants to tell her friends about them, and Fitz, true to form, does not say no outright. He says that's a big secret and asks if she trusts her friends. She does. She trusts them with her life. She has. He implies that she shouldn't, that there are things about her friends she doesn't know. Then he changes the conversation by saying he bets he knows one of her secrets. She bets he doesn't. He leans close and whispers, Allison's alive. Arya's eyes go wide in a beautiful, beautiful callback to the open eye moment from the credits sequence. I love that shot of her eyes going going wide. And I also love Lucy Hale's delivery of, I bet you don't. Like, it's mm-hmm. a little bit teasing, a little bit menacing. And there's this sense of, like, what are the secrets about Arya that Spencer doesn't know? You know? A great question. Yeah. So Hannah is delightfully working the switchboard. Some swinging music is playing. She's smacking her gum. She's putting everybody on hold. She's trying to track down one crummy phone number from Mabel. And how many favors has she done for Mabel? Remember the three sailors? Hannah wants to know which answering service the night calls at the Fitzgerald Art Foundation go to. She smacks her gum, gum and rolls her eyes as she finally gets some headway. This scene is a gift. This is a top yeah. five Hannah scene right here. Uh, she is just absolutely fabulous. Um, chewing her gum, plugging the wires in. I love her with all my heart. Oh my gosh. And you can tell that Ashley Benson is like having a lot of fun with the props in this scene. Like it's just, it's so good. Like I just want to see her. I want to see her play like the roles that like Doris Day would play or something, you know, (laughs) like it's so much fun. Oh my God. I would watch an entire, like I would watch an entire series, like 20 seasons worth of Spencer owning her own PI agency and Hannah working the switchboard at an ad agency. Like I, I would watch that all day long. Or imagine, um, imagine a a gentleman prefer blondes, but with Spana. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That would totally fix the whole love triangle situation in a heartbeat. Wouldn't that be great? Oh my God. Oh, so queerer and queerer, the further we go in, uh, in what may be actually the queerest scene of the entire run of PLL, uh, Paige looks out these gorgeous floor to ceiling windows and mentions how lonely the city is. Uh, Emily asks if she's afraid of loneliness and Paige says, no, She's afraid of being alone. They have another one of these fraught conversations where an Emily promises she won't let that happen. And Paige asks, what if anyone finds out? Emily says, they would be so jealous of me. Now, let me just reiterate that Spencer's brain responds, they would be so jealous of me. Is Spencer jealous of Emily and or Paige, please stay tuned for my TED Talk. Spoiler, <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> Back to the scene at hand. <laughs> of me, Paige asks. Of us, Emily answers. Oh, oh, of us, of the two of you, of the two of you together being gay ladies. Oh, I see, I see. How fascinating. Um, they kiss in just this 
sweepingly romantic moment in front of the big windows. It's like the it's like the kind of like spinny camera situation that is usually only reserved for the straight couples. The camera isn't spinning, but the music is like swelling, and it's this like big romantic payoff of their arc. Um, and it's so interesting that there is so much passion between them in this moment. Um, the next thing we, we know, we see them kissing on a bed in their negligee. Uh, and this is by far the most explicit Paley sex scene of the whole show. And actually, I mean, I would say the most explicit queer sex scene overall. Uh, and it is taking place inside Spencer Hastings' mind. Uh, also, she sure does think about Paige a lot, doesn't she? <laughs> like, think of all the things. She thinks about Paige's bra strap, okay, everyone? Like, she has, I, I know that Spencer Hastings has a lot of thoughts in her head, but I just want us to hold to the fact that, like, one of them is about Paige and Emily getting naked together on a bed. Yeah, I feel like the shot of, like, Emily's fingers slipping under the bra strap feels, like, very suggestive. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, this is a this is a fascinating one, isn't it? First of all, I love this Emily's bedroom set, but they've just, like, put these, like, city backdrops, like, outside. So it, like, makes it look like Emily's room exists in, like, this big, like, sweaty city. And, like, in this reality, maybe it's, like, Emily lives in an apartment or something. Um, and I I just, I, I think my favorite Shay delivery of this episode is the way she says then they will be insanely jealous of me. And her voice gets like very low and it's so passionate. Um, it's just like, they're easily the most passionate relationship in this episode. And it is interesting that like, I mean, obviously all of it is interesting in terms of it being in Spencer's mind, but also that it seems like Spencer, like in her mind, the most loving and passionate and least problematic relationship seems to be Paige and Emily's like that's the one where the forces that are tearing them apart are external forces not like internal fault lines of the relationship well also Spencer in regular life outside of this dream has generally been hostile to the Paley hookup um she has not been a supporter of that I wonder why I wonder if it could be because she's jealous as posited here by her own subconscious. Far be it for me to like argue against what her own brain is informing her of. But I also think, you know, the lines about afraid of being lonely, afraid of being alone, like Paige or uh, Spencer has rather has crafted Paige as sort of this lonely, scared, queer woman. And it's interesting to think about the ways in which Spencer might feel some kinship with that particular idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Spencer is everyone, like Spencer has created all of these characters in her dream. Um, yeah. So she is creating, like, it's like she's basically like, think of, ha, think of Emily and Paige as her dolls that she's making kiss on the bed here. Um, that That really seems to be, that that really seems to be the way that this is going. And Spencer is not, this is not like a clinical look at the two of them. This isn't like the anthropological look at of like, oh, what would it be like if my two friends were together in olden times? Like 
this is like, I mean, this is Spencer looking at it and finding it hot. Oh, yes. And finding it sweepingly romantic and passionate and, yeah, beautiful and sexy and being, you know, turned on by it. There's like some saxophone music that comes in. Like, it's it's a lot. It's a lot, Spencer. It's also funny to me that, like, that line about she's afraid of being alone and Emily says she won't let that happen. It's like, too late, Emily. In real world, you have made Paige feel extraordinarily alone. <laughs> and we'll continue yeah. Um, but it's interesting that here in like, cause this is sort of like the height of Paley in a certain sense. And it exists in Spencer's mind and in, and is a version of Paley that like is not really that reminiscent of the Paley on the show, you know? Well, yeah. And if you think about Spencer being Paige, but also Spencer being Emily, you could read this as Spencer wanting to be the one who is slipping her fingers under Paige's bra strap. I don't think that that's a leap at all. No, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating that so much of her mental space is taken up by these two. Do you think that this is the most explicit queer sex? I, I don't feel like we ever see Paley make out on a bed other than this, like in this I way that is definitely like coded as them having sex. No, I mean, to me, the only ones that would rival this, and I don't think they even necessarily do, um, there's the Maya-Emily scene um, when Maya makes her room up for Emily and they kiss on the bed. And also the candle magic scene. I don't feel like either of those are are as explicit as this. And then um, there's the Emerson scene in Miss Me Times 100, which, again, I don't think is as explicit as this. And then there's, like, the Emerson. Emerson, I think, has, what, like, two quote-unquote sex scenes like after they get together that are neither one of which are in any way this level of passion so yeah I think um I would say that probably this is this is the one um unless there's like some some really hot and heavy scene that I'm not remembering but I don't think that that is the case I agree I think it's this yeah I agree um so back over at (laughs) at at switchboard station uh, Hannah finally gets a hold of the all-night answering service, lying that her boss is Mr. And she would like to know Allie has called. And should, do you want me to do you want me to take this next scene since that was so short? Uh, yeah, that would be. Uh, well, no, no, I'm going to take the next scene so that you can get uh, you can get Spencer and Aria at oh, the bar. Okay, um, all right, but I, I do I I do want to say. Uh, that why do you think that Spencer's brain has Hannah working at a switchboard? Is it because Hannah knows all the hot goss all the time? Or is it because she thinks of Hannah as a switch? (laughs) The answer to that would be yes. Um, (laughs) Yes, all of the above. I I think it's, I mean, I think, I think it's like an old timey thing that they can have fun with and that they knew that Ashley Benson would probably be really good at. Um, But I also think that like, it is the, her girl Friday thing, you know? I mean, that's very much the role that Spencer Heights cast Hannah in. And um, she's this sort of, you know, this sort of, the sort of plucky, uh, you know, um, girlfriend of detective Spencer here. And also as always, you know, Hannah is like the glass half full to Spencer's glass half empty in a lot of ways. That's, I think, one of the most compelling parts of their relationship. And I think that that's really here, too, that like Spencer is in this very dark place 
And so she sort of cast Hannah as like this plucky, helpful ray of sunshine that's going to get them the answer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do like that. Um, and that Hannah is like, Hannah is capable of like independent action in this dream uh, yes. in a way that a lot of the other characters don't seem to be. Like Hannah is able to like off screen be kidnapped by Mona and Prezra off screen to be like, to find out information. Um, so I do, okay. I do really love that. Um, also this makes me want, when you were talking about Doris Day, I now want Hannah to be in a remake of like Party Line and I can't decide whether I want Mona or Spencer to be Rock Hudson. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's hard. That's hard. Pillow Talk. Oh, like... Pillow Talk. Yeah. No, Pillow Talk. That's, that's the right name of the movie where they have the party line, but they're doing, yeah, it is oh, Pillow yeah. Talk. So would it be would it be Mona or would it be Spencer that you would put in there? Oh, I think Mona would have a really fun time with that Rock Hudson part. But but Troyan could do all the voices. She could do all the accents. <laughs> and for that reason, we will cast Mona. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh gosh. Okay, so. <clears throat> Back to this episode. <laughs> Spencer <laughs> is in the interrogation room as Toby lectures her about how secrets can be weaponized. Spencer knows. She knows something else. She talks about how A doesn't just come out of the woodwork. Allie fed the beast with every secret, every lie she got them to tell. Toby asks her if she knows who A is. And Spencer thought so, but now she's not so sure. This is something we've heard Allison say before. So again, the overlap between Spencer and Allison is super, super interesting. Uh, he shouts at her to come on then. Uh, and he drops the bomb that he knows Allie is alive. Who told you that? She asks. He doesn't answer her, insisting that she knows where Allison is. Spencer protests that she doesn't. All she has is a book full of cruel stories and code names. Exactly, mean flat P.I. Toby says. She has the book. Since when does the devil give out free samples? Think about it. Spencer doesn't want to think about it. She's so tired. She just wants to sleep. He softens, pulls her to her feet, and says, Down these mean streets, a girl must go, who is not herself mean. She falls against him, kissing and collapsing, kind of all at once. Uh, note that this kiss is maybe a three on the passion scale, whereas Emily and Paige were previously at a nine. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love that some of this dialogue, though, because it's it's clearly Spencer, once again, you know, blaming herself and blaming the liars for the A situation, you know, where when she's talking about um, you'd have to nurture a monster like that. Um, and I also love her calling out uh, our, uh, Allison's bad poetry. <laughs> yes! Um, so this really gorgeous song starts playing over the end of that kiss and continues over to The Brew, where Aria is sitting at a counter, making a shape on the counter with some toothpicks when Spencer walks in. I love this scene. In some ways, I would say it feels the most grounded of the entire episode, the most like one that could exist not in the noir-verse. She has to do something, but she doesn't want the Spencer look when she says it. Uh, Spencer asks what look, and Arya says it's the look she gives someone when she's really disappointed in them. Spencer didn't know she had a look for that. Arya admits that she's been seeing Prezra, really seeing him. 
And she loves him, but she says it in such a way that both of them sort of hear as her trying to convince herself. Arya says that everything that's happened, she feels like has never happened to anyone else before. And it probably wouldn't have happened if she hadn't walked through that one door that one time. And who decides what door you walk through anyway? It's been sexy and dangerous and awful and wonderful. It's like a story. It was perfect. Spencer notes Arya's use of the past tense. Arya says that she thinks the story is changing. And this is clearly the moment when Spencer is going to tell her. She can feel the words bubbling up. And she's about to do so when Hannah walks in, announcing that she has found Allie. Oh, my God. This scene is so beautiful. I love I mean, it's it's I love everything that Arya says. This is exactly how Arya would view this relationship. This is exactly, I think, how how she's sort of been groomed to view this relationship. And it's also I love it through the context of Spencer seeing Arya, seeing Arya as the Susie Clueless sort of pie in the sky, overly romantic uh, person that Spencer loves very deeply and Spencer knowing that this is how Arya feels about the relationship. It's such a good indication of how well Spencer understands Arya, but also perhaps the ways in which she might not be giving Arya certain amounts of credit or agency that Arya might actually deserve. Um, It's just, it's, it's a really, really beautiful moment between the two of them. I love that how like non-defensive Spencer is in the scene. Spencer's been so strung out and on guard all episode. And in this scene, she's really sort of soft and open as she listens to Aria. Um, and yeah, I just think it's I just think it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It just speaks to how deeply Spencer knows Aria, how intimately she understands her. Uh, and what it is that draws her to Fitz, and just the wistfulness that's present when Spencer says she doesn't know why someone walks in one door instead of another, that just hits so hard. Because, I mean, you could read it as Spencer and Arya possibly being together in another world where a different door had been walked through, but it also speaks to Spencer wishing like that this cup could pass from her, like wishing that she didn't have to be the one to break Arya's heart. Like, it makes you wonder, like, would Spencer, if Allie and Emily and Hannah were not involved, let Prezra continue tormenting her rather than expose him because it would hurt Arya? Like, you almost get the sense that she would. Like, it, it's it's just really, um, this, this scene between them is really poignant, and it's, it's just, it's probably one of the best Sparia scenes of the series. I agree. I agree. And there's also the question in there about what door you walk through. You know, Spencer may be wishing that that she could have taken the hit, that she could have been the one that Prezra targeted, um, the one that Prezra went after, that Arya could be saved from all of this drama. Right. Or that, like, if different choices had been made, that Allison wouldn't have had to go on the run. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful scene. The song, the song that's playing in the background, I think is it's there's a lyric in there about like tell the truth, tell the truth, which just adds to all of it. Yeah. yeah it, this this sense is really like this the the vibe that you get between them is like these old friends, these dear friends, possibly these ex-lovers. I mean, there's just a lot going on. They, they know each other so thoroughly and so well, and there's so much affection. Well, and there's also this vibe when Spencer says, I have to tell you something. We know what Spencer's going to tell Arya. 
But there's definitely this vibe that maybe Spencer's going to tell Arya that she's in love with her. You know, just the Mm -hmm. way that this scene is, the softness and the affection between them, the way that they're looking at each other. You know, there is this sense that, like, that kind of love is at play here, too. Or maybe she's going to tell her that she's moved on and she's with Hannah now. Either way. Either, either way. Either way. Indeed. Oh, so the liars arrive at a nightclub where someone used the payphone to call the Fitzgerald Art Foundation. Uh, There are posters outside for their acts. Knightley is spelled wrong. Spencer is sure that Allison is here hiding in plain sight doing three shows a night. Um, The liars enter into a dressing room. There are wigs, gowns. Uh, Hannah says it looks like someone threw a hand grenade into a room full of rockettes. Allie can't be here, or can she? Bum, 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 Allison herself enters the room, her face deep in shadow. We see the sparkle of the sequins on her showgirl costume. She asks if anyone saw them come in. They don't think so. She's angry as she instructs them to then get the hell out. She told them to stop looking. Things have changed, they say. Maybe for them, but not for her. Um... Allie is at this point changing into the robe that is just like one big feather boa. That's what it looks like. Uh, And she's challenging Spencer's leadership of the group. Um, She's mean to Spencer here, very mean. And she encourages the liars to think for themselves. Uh, Spencer threatens to cut her off from their help, see how long she lasts without them. Uh, Spencer accuses Allie of using them, setting them up for something. She doesn't know what, but she's making them a decoy and she's going to force them to take the heat for whatever this setup is. Uh, Allison tells Spencer that she's no different. Um, then she asks whether Spencer has told Arya yet. Told her what? Allison waits for Spencer to spill the beans. But their confrontation is cut short by the sound of a gunshot, which breaks a perfume bottle on the dresser. Hannah cuts the lights, and Allison runs out of the room in the confusion. Oh, my God. I love so much about this scene. I love the way Allie enters the room, her sort of uh, her, the, her silhouette. She has this sort of um, uh, defensiveness in her posture that's just great. Uh, I love so much, you know, Allison asking about, you know, saying to the other liars, aren't you tired of Spencer ordering you around? Because we know that this is Spencer worrying that the liars are tired of her ordering them around. Um, one of my favorite Allie deliveries of this episode is when she says, am I Emily? Am I really? Like, (laughs) she delivers that line is perfect. Um, and, and that back and forth of, and you're different. Yeah, I'm different. That, I love that. And it kind of reminds me, I feel like there's an exchange in Buffy that's similar to that. I can't, I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's like, there's something about this idea of like this, this stops here you know this trauma stops here and yet does it what kind of leader is Spencer is Spencer a leader that's ultimately going to force the liars to take the fall for her she doesn't want to be but maybe um maybe in some way she is like it's it's just it's it's so good it's so fun to see them all playing off of the each other here it's great I love everything about this scene I love uh Allison like when she enters the dressing room it's like she's walking onto a stage. Like you don't, she's not fully lit at first. She's like coming into the light when her song and dance is going to start. And it's not like an actual song and dance, but existentially it is. It's very like Velma Kelly in a way, like Velma Kelly in Chicago. Oh yeah. 
Also, um, I feel like the Allison in this part of the episode, like we were talking about how the ways in which she's different or not different. Um, one element of the Allison in this part of the episode, I think she's a little salty about the fact that Paige and Emily just had sex. Yes, yes. <laughs> Allison is not pleased with Emily in these scenes. Well, and we'll later make a comment about who sharpened Emily. <laughs> she will indeed. Yeah, it is really interesting. There is totally that vibe here. Um, and, oh, there was something else I was going to say about that. Um, yeah, there's, there is this, this sharpness to Allison and particularly around, around Emily that is just, it's great. It's totally great. Um, so the liars run after Allison, uh, following her through what turns into this industrial looking building that might actually be the set where Emily and Allison met, um, a, a couple of episodes ago, which if it is, that's really gay Spencer that you would set like, <laughs> the spot where you almost watched Emily and, and, uh, Allison have sex there and then pleadingly held Emily's hands talking about not letting her come between you. Uh, Allison tells them to split up, but Spencer points out that that'll just send whoever it is after them. Allie goes to strike her, but Hannah, hero of this piece, steps in, grabbing Allie's arm and telling her not to do it. Um, just then we hear Prezra's voice calling, Aria, are you in there? The liars tell Aria not to answer. Allie says they need to tell her, and when Emily... Your, uh, Paige McCullers. Prezra calls that it's safe, that he'll take care of her. Uh, Aria kind of starts walking towards the voice. The liars follow nervously. Uh, Prezra, or who seems to be Prezra, stands in the shadows saying that whatever they've told her about him isn't true. Uh, Allie asks if, he, if it'll be her job to tell them. Aria, this is the part where I felt like Lucy Hill's southern accent came out a little bit. She's like, well, somebody better tell me something. Uh, Prezra promises to keep Arya safe no one has ever loved her the way he does Spencer says that she can't trust him Allie sort of disgustedly says that they all have no guts Arya snaps that she liked Allie better when she was dead oof we get this fabulous overhead shot of Arya approaching Prezra and it is super tense oh my god the ominous music crescendoing uh, the way that, like, all that has to happen is for Arya to just be quiet and not go to him, and that that cannot happen. Like, even though Spencer is saying, like, don't trust him, the moment when Arya says, like, what do you mean? It's Ezra. Like, I love, I love the reading of it that, like, what do you mean? It's Ezra. Of course I trust him. But also, what do you mean it's Ezra? What do you mean it's Ezra that is yeah. A that we should be afraid of? Like, the, the double meaning of that line is just so great. And the way, the way that the liars, like, are so scared still, even though this is a moment when they could all be in danger, the liars are still just so scared of accusing him. Yeah, Spencer can't even allow any of them to say it in her subconscious. It's, mm -hmm. it's really, it's really, really fascinating. Oh my gosh. So Arya continues her walk towards the figure in the shadowy doorway as Allison runs the other way unnoticed. Um, when Arya gets up to who we think is Prezra, 
Toby flicks his cigarette lighter to reveal, surprise, it's him. We don't have much time, he declares. I hit him hard, but I only hit him once. Um, we see Ezra's shoes protruding from where Toby has shoved his unconscious form. Uh, the other liars rush forward, and Toby hustles them all into his car. Uh, as they get in, they realize that Allison is gone, but there's no time. Everyone hurry. They drive off somewhat slowly, possibly in the same old-timey sedan that the Hastings will be in during Spencer's adoption flashback. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's it's really, really possible. It's interesting also that even in this fantasy world, like, Prezra doesn't get killed. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. I mean, Toby obviously, like, hits him over the back of the head when they're having Lodge Brother time. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. And also, just like the way that they thought it was Ezra, but really it's Toby, speaks to Spencer's fear that Toby could be more involved still than he seems. Um, it parallels, like, how she didn't want everyone to know that her boyfriend was on the A-team, keeping Toby's secrets, and the way that Arya might be keeping Prezra's secrets. Uh, and also the way that, like, Toby is a stand-in for Spencer in this episode. So it's like, you yeah. think it's Ezra, but surprise, it's Toby, which could really mean, like, surprise, it's you yourself. Well, and also the way that Spencer's subconscious is worried that all men are basically the same and interchangeable, and they'll all hurt you the exact same way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why she should be with Hannah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Hannah, with Hannah in this reality. It's similar views. Oh, yeah, and Hannah, who, like, basically grabbed Allison's hand and was like, that's my wife, I mean, essentially, <laughs> when she was preventing that slap, so, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so wait, where you left off, they had just all gotten into the car, right? Yeah, yeah, so you take over when they are in the vehicle. Okay, so in the car, it's raining now, there's a gorgeous shot of the rain falling on the window and casting a Aria's face. Arya is silent at first, eventually asking Spencer why Toby hit Prezra. Uh, Spencer doesn't say anything, and Emily says that Allie was right. None of them have any guts. Toby asks if Spencer's figured it out yet. And this is where the, like, we're right at the end of the, the hallucination, and everything's getting even more surreal, and the voices are sounding more and more like they're coming from Spencer's own head. Uh, she and the car are both out of gas. The liars tell Spencer, we're all tired. Figure it out so we can get on with our lives, no matter who gets hurt. Which is, of course, all that Spencer fears. As we know, she tried not being Spencer Hastings, but no one else showed up for the job. the answer, or maybe she doesn't. But she has the book, and he says, don't look at the book, look at the pages. Spencer says they're the same thing, and he says, no, they're not. The car swerves. And suddenly, we are back in regular time. Spencer is standing in the kitchen. The is still on. She pauses for a second, then goes to pick up her phone and the diary and starts comparing the two. Yes, I love that the dialogue in the movie continues to play here. And it's saying, uh, it's not what you think. And the other character is saying, it's exactly what I think. So that, like, commentary, yeah. that commentary continues. Um Plus, I just, I love the transitions that they do, uh, where it looks like the car is going to hit them, Spencer's bracing for impact, and then all of a sudden, uh, she's back. Also, this is another way that the dream world logic works better than regular PLL logic, because Endless November would make a lot of sense 
if it was like a flash dream, like this whole episode just happened in like the two seconds that Spencer like had her eyes closed here. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. She just like fugues out for a while and like a couple of weeks pass and then she like comes back in Mm -hmm, for sure. mm -hmm. For sure. Um, So the next thing we know, Spencer has Hannah and Emily uh, there to be briefed. Emily was right. They were supposed to find the diary. Uh, Then why go through all the trouble of stealing it? Because now it's a Trojan horse, Spencer explains. Changes have been made. Ambrose Pearson instead of Ambrose Pavilion. Whatever that is, it's a big enough clue for him to want us to never see it. Uh, All the changes are like that. January becomes March. A cute girl becomes a cute guy, etc. But if he did this on purpose, the liars realize he knows that they know. There's no time to mess around anymore. They have to tell Arya, who is still not answering her phone, and the liars go off, determined to wait on her porch until she gets home. Uh, I just want to call out the changing January becomes March. Uh, the story that we're going to get about Prezra and Allison is that they had an extremely short-lived flirtation, uh, which was basically meaningless and just, you know, they were talking about Fitzgerald stories and that's all there is. Um, it's so interesting that he had to change, like, months-long items in this diary. Um, Obviously, his predation was, like, way deeper than the show is ever going to acknowledge on the Allison front. Also, I feel like uh, Ezra's participating in some bi-erasure here because he's, he's, like, turned a cute girl into a cute guy in Allison's story. You know what I think? I think that the cute girl might have been Mona. Oh, that would make a lot of sense. That would make a lot just, of sense. Just spitballing here. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, who or, or Arya herself? Or Arya herself? Oh, yeah, I can see Prezra not wanting uh, Arya to know that Allison was was into her because that would that would that would spoil a few things for him. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Um. So on Arya's porch, they see Prezra and Arya kissing inside through the window. And we sort of linger on Spencer's face. And Spencer looks very upset. She looks wrecked. Like, she's, she's been looking wrecked. But she looks like the most wrecked, the, the wreckedest of all the wrecks as she watches them making out. Um, probably because she just had this whole, like... A queer, uh, queer universe that she was involved in, and now here's the heteropatriarchy just smacking you in the face as you peer through this window. Yeah, yeah, she looks, and and I know that we're supposed to be thinking like, oh, well, if Spencer's thinking this is going to be so much harder now that they're together, but there's also a definite like, Spencer is Spencer is really sort of heartbroken to see to see this here, you know. Well, yeah, and that Spencer has pretty much always known that they were back together. Like Spencer didn't yeah. have a, t- she didn't spend a ton of time questioning that in the dream verse. She she pretty much already knew. She did, but she also really wanted Arya to admit it to her, and so her mm-hmm. having to sort of stumble upon it like this is probably kind of heartbreaking to her. Agreed, agreed. Her ex lover, former tomboy Arya Montgomery not telling her about her romantic entanglement. Former tree climber. Um, yeah. <laughs> the best would have been if Spencer like had to climb a tree to peer in Arya's window and saw them together up there. That would have been 
Um, that that would have been a very oh. nice tie-in. Um, I would have. And it, it reminds me of when Hannah has to shimmy up Mona's drain pipe in in yes. later seasons. Um, speaking yes. of tree climbing, hmm, hmm. Um, in the A tag, uh, back to black and white, we survey the chaos of Allie's torn apart dressing room. And then we focus on a telegram fastened to the mirror. I love, I love that in the noir verse, A threatens them with telegrams. Oh my gosh, how great is that? Um, it says, break a leg, stop, kisses, A. And that's all. That is the episode. You know, as far as an A, an A um, message, I feel like break a leg is not maybe the strongest. <laughs> I mean, it's not maybe the strongest, except that like Toby and Hannah both have their legs actually broken That's by A at some point. <laughs> and then weirdly, Allison's going to have that like uh, Christmas Carol-esque dream where she thinks that, um, where like Mona says that like her legs, like they never found her legs or something like right. that. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. What? An episode. What an episode. Wow. Talk full of so much good stuff. Um, a, a thing that I was thinking towards the end of this episode, because um, we talked a little at the beginning about the question of, like, could Arya be involved? Could she know? Could he turn her? Um, I feel like at the end, when Arya is moving towards him... And the other liars are kind of trailing behind her, even though they know that she's walking into danger. Like, that is a moment. Like, imagine, so Arya is walking towards Prezra because she hears him calling out to her. Imagine if one of the liars were A. Like, this is a thing that, like, people talked about a lot during the run of the show that we've talked a lot about. Imagine that Spencer was A. And imagine Spencer calling out to the other liars to come to her uh, if if she were going to, like, do harm to them, or Allison calling out to them, or any of... Like, all of the liars would go. Like, it's death before dishonor. They would never... Um, they, they would all go down before they would accept for even one second that one of them was behind this. Even Allison herself, mm -hmm. who is sketchy AF, um, like, th throughout uh, her time in this period of the show... Um, they would just never, they would never believe that one of them was A. They would all go, like, very willingly to that person who was calling and saying that it was safe. That's a really good point. That's, that's, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And, um, gosh, I had, I had a thought that I was just going to say about this. Oh, so do you think that this episode could have come at any other point in the series? Or do you think, and when I say this episode, I don't mean this episode literally, I mean this format. Or do you think that this format sort of, this is kind of the the lightning strike moment of perfect place, perfect time within the context of the series as a whole? I think it has to be at this point in time because we have to have Spencer's uh, growing chemical dependency that's kind of fueling uh, this like alternate, you know, dreamscape situation. Uh, and I also think that this is going to work a lot better when you have a clear sense of who the villain is. And for this back half of season four, we have had a really good feeling that it's Prezra. I, I think that there would be, like, th there could be great options as well. Like, I think that 
um, Cece would have shown in a film noir uh, mm-hmm. episode herself. But those are the like those reveals are the ones where like who is it? Who is it? Oh, at the last second, it's this person that we haven't seen for like a hundred years. Um, so you don't get you don't get a chance to have that. Um, I think that Ren Kingston would be fantastic in a noir mm-hmm. episode. Um, I kind of love him in the role of like Cary Grant, but evil, sort of like in yeah. suspicion or something like that. Um, but this this just has everything coming together. It is just the right moment for this to happen. I agree. I, Jenna would have been a lot of fun in an episode. Oh like, my gosh. You know, um, it's interesting. None of the parents appear in this. Um, but, you know, it's it's funny. So that sort of brings me to another question. Um, I heard a, a quote from a screenwriting teacher recently that was um, that y- you the point of the scene cannot come in. Uh, once you established the end of the scene or once you have established the point, there's nothing more for the scene to do. So the scene must end. And I sort of feel like if we're thinking about in the, that in the context of PLL, obviously shadow play is not the point of all of PLL, but it feels like it is sort of the episode that is really investing in many of the themes of PLL in a way that few episodes do. And we've talked about this briefly, but I think, you know, it would be a good time to question should this have been the wrap-up to the series? Not necessarily the series finale, but sort of um, leading into perhaps a grand finale for the show where Prezra was revealed as um, as the villain, where Allison was allowed to go home, where maybe a- Allison and Emily did get together. Um, Hannah and... Maybe Hannah and Mona got together, or Hannah and Spencer, or maybe, you know... Hannah was just allowed to be single um, with Caleb off in Ravenswood. Like, is this the point at which maybe they should have started packing it in? If they had, I think the show would have gone, would have gone out so strong. Like the legacy of the show would be really secure. Um, That it was about like, that it was about the male gaze, that it was about rape culture lurking outside your window, that it was about like adult men being predators who hide in plain sight between, you know, behind charming smiles, etc. cetera. Um, so I think that its legacy would have been more secure. Uh, I, I do like, I, I think this is one of the last great episodes of PLL. I'm also a fan of Miss Me Times 100, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't trade, um, I, I wouldn't trade for it, I don't think, uh, especially because ending it here, uh, we end it before the kind of cardinal sin of PLL happens where, uh, they make a trans the villain and then kill her off immediately afterwards. Um, so yeah. yeah, you would you would eliminate all of the problematic natures of that and and just like Prezra as the villain feels right. Like there's no yeah. other there's no other reveal past this point that feels more satisfying. Well, and you'd also be eliminating the sin of killing off another queer woman of color. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. 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 I, I, you know, the, the more we kind of go into this deep dive, the more I'm convinced that the show probably should have ended around this point. Um, that or my, my forever dream, which would have been a half season or full season of the show without a, where the liars, uh, deal with their trauma. And I understand that 
you know, some people might not have been interested in that, but I would have loved that. <laughs> if it could have been a season of processing, it would have been my dream. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is really interesting to think about this as like the top of the mountain, the top of the roller coaster um, and and kind of, you know, the fact that the show had this much creativity and confidence to pull off an episode like this at this point in the series that they, you know, that even you think about even the network, which I think this was before ABC Family became Freeform. That they, that they would take a chance on an episode like this. I mean, this is a pretty risky thing to put on television in whatever year this aired, 2012 or whatever. Um, but it's it it works. It works so well. Um, and it, it speaks to a show that trusts itself, trusts its audience, and is not afraid to take some risks. Yeah, and it's a show that knows its characters um, yeah. to the extent that it knows what they would be dreaming about. Um, as opposed to like, I think uh, one of the one of the time jump dream sequences that we're gonna get is like, there's a is there a unicorn? There's like Jenna riding a unicorn in a British army outfit. Am I making that up? No, I no, think really you're ha- not. It's like in Mona's snow globe or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like so. Something. I mean, yeah, yeah. like this yeah. This, <laughs> this dream is like much more cohesive and much better. Um, now I I have a question. For you, um, if you were in the therapist's chair and someone came to you and explained this entire dream to you and said, what do you think it means? <laughs> what, what would your capsule, what would your capsule uh, takeaway to them <laughs> be? Mine would, mine would probably be like, you gay. That's, that's probably like what would be my first, uh, my first statement. But like, what, what would yours be? Do you think? No, I mean, I think that would be, that would be a pretty valid take. Like, I think something along the lines of like, so it sure seems like a lot of your mental real estate is occupied <laughs> by um, imagining your friends kissing, imagining your friends talking about being gay having these very sort of intense kind of romantic friendships with your friends. Is this something you might like to explore? (laughs) (laughs) Also to correct myself a minute ago, time means nothing, but Shaq. So 20. Okay. Okay. Oh my goodness. I can't believe We've gotten through this episode. I'm bummed because we had we had talked before, um, you know, before 2020 became the year that it became that we wanted to do this recording live and in person. So I'm I'm bummed that we didn't get to do this, like that we didn't get to like meet up in Vegas and like see, you know, um, the the RuPaul show at the Flamingo and then record an episode about Shadow Play. But you know, if we had walked through another door that didn't have a pandemic, <laughs> maybe that maybe that would have happened somewhere out there and who decides what door you walk through anyway i just don't know yeah no i i am i am bummed about that too maybe there's an alternate universe joanna and vina that got to do that um but uh you know i'm i'm glad that that even in this universe we still do get to uh get to talk about this episode because it's really, I mean, one of the things I was so struck with on the rewatch is like, it moves. 
it moves quickly and it pulls you in right away. I was a little intimidated when I sat down to do my notes because I was like, this is the big one. And then I was just finding myself so captivated by it. You know, it's not at all, it doesn't at all feel like homework. It's not at all like, oh, we're having a, an, a lesson on black and white filmography or anything. Like it's, it's those references are there if you're looking for them. And I'm sure audiences that are like really familiar with film noir probably can pull out all of those and, and kind of nerd out on them. But even if you're not familiar with film noir, even if you don't really like film noir, there's so much good character work here and just interesting stuff happening in this episode that it's still such a delight. Yeah, and you can tell that all of the actors are having a great time in this episode. Like, Sasha's having a great time. Keegan's having a great time. Ashley's having a great time. Like, everyone is having so much fun. And that is such a contrast to the later season's episodes when, like, they are just, like, dragging their feet through the scenes to get a paycheck. Like, it's very, very very different. Yeah, Yeah, they're just, like... I like yeah by the time you get to the end and it's like you get the sense that like they do not care who A is we do not care who A is we just want this to be we just want this to be over with yeah yeah they are totally having fun you can tell that everybody was having fun the costume designer was having fun the music producer was having fun the set designer was having fun you know like everybody was just having a good time and getting to do something new you know everybody got to play a slightly different beat and I can only imagine on you know if you've been working on a show for over four years how exciting that would feel you Mm -hmm. know to get to to get to to sort of play a little bit and like be kind of experimental I mean I think something that's interesting is like you know we talked about how maybe more shows now would do an episode like this I feel like television is different now in that television is allowed to be more experimental than it was even six years ago, you know, in 2014. And the idea of a black and white episode, that might feel a little bit more commonplace now. But in a like a teen network drama, that's not something you're going to get every day, especially back then. Yeah. Oh, I I totally I totally agree with that. Um, What are some other like kind of special episodes that you feel like like we've often talked about like should PLL have done a musical episode did we get that a little bit with the jailhouse rock I really I would have totally gone for an alternate universe episode where Allie never disappeared I do kind of wish that that is something that the show would have given us at some point I think that would have been great I also really wish that that um I mean the the season five Christmas episode is such a bonkers episode in so many ways. I would have loved if they had really committed to the It's a Wonderful Life thing and done a what if Allie had never been born and how mm. that affected all of the liars. I think that could have been really interesting. Um, I think, like, this would be a really weird one. Do you, have you watched The Good Place? No. Okay. So there's an episode of The Good Place where, um, there's this character, Janet. I don't know if you know much about The Good Place. But I, Janet, I read the Autos Traddle article, yes. Okay, so like Janet has Janet has a void that is, um, she br- Janet brings all of the characters into, uh, into their void. And basically, so the actress who plays Janet ends up playing all of the characters. And it's really impressive. I think if they had done an episode where Mona 
was like play acting all of the characters as like she's in her dollhouse playing playing with them but it ends up being like Janelle ends up basically playing all of the characters I would have loved something like that oh man that would be absolutely fantastic I love that idea like Mona's one woman show basically exactly exactly I do think a full-on musical episode would have I mean it's a gamble I love the Buffy musical episode I really pretty much can't stand the Grey's Anatomy musical episode so it's like you end up with you know extreme ends of the spectrum there if they had gone musical episode would you have wanted original music or like covering existing songs um I probably would have wanted original songs okay okay and like what like what kind of vibe like if you were to compare your dream PLL musical episode to like a musical that exists in terms of like style or kind of music like what would what do you think you'd go with um probably Chicago like you you mentioned oh. Velma Kelly earlier okay. so uh, I do think that Chicago would be a good one um trying to think no I I, I think first thought best thought I think that would be the one I would be most inclined to I like that to hit I for like- I like Chicago. Yeah, I think that that would be that. That feels like a good a good match. Well, kind of. I mean, people are constantly on trial, so it seems like it would work. It seems like it would be really fun. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to think of other other sort of special episodes that I think would be fun. Do you have others that come out? No, to you? that that was the one I was well because I was thinking of the Buffy musical episode, and I was thinking about um, Normal again, which is the episode of Buffy where. Um, she might be in a mental institution or she might be like, she's, she's sort of been drugged into thinking that that's what's happening uh, or magicked into thinking that. And so there's this idea that there's like a world where her parents are still together, but she's like, and you know, like her mom is alive and all these things are, you know, they're like good, uh, but she's in a mental institution and she could like get out and have a normal life and not be the slayer. Um, but then she has to, like, choose to, like, come back and keep fighting. And I, I kind of, like, Spencer and Radley, we could have had that type of episode. Like, the sure. if Allison hadn't disappeared, um, you know, how would things be different or the same for them? Uh, I think that that would be really interesting. Yeah, I think also, like, um, and I guess we kind of got this with the time jump, but, like, if during the maybe as part of the time jump if we had gotten like alternative versions of like what happened to the liars in the in the flash forward like almost like a clue style ending of like but maybe it was like this you know that would be so great or i would also have liked an episode uh an episode that centered a non-liar like an episode that was told through like the eyes of mona or told through the eyes of well not the eyes of jenna but like or like Mike Montgomery or someone who's yeah. like not one of the liars. I think that that could be really interesting too. Bridget Wu. I, no. Yes. That would be amazing. I've always wanted a, like a Bridget Wu centered like fic or something. I also think it would be really interesting an episode entirely from the perspective of A at a time when we don't know who A is. That would be great too. That would be amazing as well. Yeah, I think I think that that would be that that would be really good. Or like Melissa, like a Melissa centric episode, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's so many possibilities. Um, do we have more? 
that we would like to say about Shadowplay? I mean, play? there'll always be more to say about Shadowplay, but um, I think we've I think we've said quite a lot about it this evening. Okay. Okay. Well, the hits just keep on coming because next week is Free Fall, which is, I would say, maybe in this like really good run that we've been on, this is probably the last really good episode before everything kind of falls apart at the end of the season. Um, I really like Free Fall. It is not without its faults, but it's, I think, also has some some great stuff. The double intervention scene is, is a classic for sure. Um, if you have thoughts on Shadowplay, we would love to hear from you. You can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. You can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Um, yes, we are very excited. Uh, thank you for listening to uh, to our long geek out on this fabulous episode. It's one of our faves. It's it's our fave. I mean, we can probably both say it, it is. It is. Yeah. At some point, maybe we'll have to do like a countdown of like our our top five or something. That might be fun. Um, all right. Well, until next time, take care. Take care.